When I was a uh, freshman in college, my friends and I, we decided that we were going to, for spring break, go to Daytona Beach. But then we discovered that that actually cost money. And uh, we were, you know, 18, 19 years old. We don't have the money to go to Daytona Beach. So we decided, well, you're supposed to go to a beach, so we'll go to Ocean City, Maryland. But keep in mind, spring break's what? Like March and April, something like that? Who wants to go to Ocean City in March and April? So we decided, well, that's a bad idea as well. So we instead decided that we were going to rent some cabins out in the woods. And so we went and we got there, had these cabins, and we had 10 of us all together. And the first day that we got there, we went on like this three-mile hike, but we had divided into two teams. It was like some sort of amazing race type of deal where you had to get like to this destination before the other team did. And literally, it was over the river and through the woods. It involved a lot of teamwork of how you're going to cross this river and all this kind of stuff. And again, it's cold outside, so you didn't want to actually get in the river. And it was a lot of fun. We had such a good time that we decided, okay, tomorrow what we're going to do is we're going to wake up, and about 10 miles away, there was this... Um, cut that they had put in the mountain so that an interstate could go through. And so we decided we're going to hike up to the cut. Imagine our surprise when we wake up the next morning and there's three inches of snow on the ground. And in listening to the weather reports, they're calling for six to 10 inches more. Again, we're 18, 19 years old. We're men now. We're going to do this hike anyway. So we head off, the ten of us, trudging through the snow. About two or three miles in, five of the guys said, yeah, this isn't worth it. They turned around and went back. But there were still five of us that we decided, okay, we're going to do this. Now, to get to the mountain that we wanted to go, you had to go up over a couple other little mountain ranges. So we go up and we we climb the first one. And we thought for sure, when we get to the top of the first one, because we're just sort of walking in the general direction that we think that we need to go, we figured when we get to the top of the first one, we'll know where to go because we'll be able to see it out in the distance. But it is snowing so hard that visibility is, you know, just a couple feet. Can't see anything. So we go down the backside of that mountain. Now, here's the problem. The week before, there had been a huge snowstorm. And that was the dark side of the mountain. So the snow hadn't melted on that side. So now we're trudging through like knee-deep snow. And this is like horrible, you know, and it's just going on and on. We get down to the bottom of that one. We get up to the top of the next one, still can't see anything. We are worn out. We go down to the bottom of that one. And when we got to the bottom of that one, there was a road. And this is where the five of us had a debate. Do we keep on going or not? Because by now it's getting pretty late in the day. And we really have no clue where we're actually at. And it's like, well, here's a road, so we could just follow a road and maybe like hitchhike back to the camp, or we can keep on going because, you know, there's another little range that we got to go up over. Finally, we decided, you know what, let's just, let's play it safe. Let's just walk on the road. And sure enough, uh, uh, actually, it was a carpet, guys, that uh, they saw us and they're like, you guys lost? <laughs> What's going on? Because it's pouring snow, you know, or whatever snow does, it doesn't pour, I guess. But uh, anyway, and so it, they like left us jump in the back of the van. They took us back to the camp. The next day we got in our cars and we like sort of drove to where he had picked us up and everything. Turns out we were like less than a mile from being where we wanted to be. We were so close to our destination, but we had given up because there was just so much uncertainty. I mean, it was a great adventure. I mean, I'll never forget it. 
But we stopped just a little short of our goal because the doubt that crept in our mind, the uncertainty that was in our mind. And see, God wants you to be on an adventure. And your adventure is called life. But let's face it, a lot of times, uncertainty keeps us from reaching all the goals that we have in life, doesn't it? We get a little bit scared. We get a little bit worried. There's uncertainty, and so we stop just short of where it is that God wants us to be. Now, I bring all that up because today we are continuing our series called Chase the Lion. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been following this guy in the Bible. His name's Beniah. And you remember Beniah? He, he goes up against these like two guys all by himself, and he defeats them. And there's this like giant, and the giant has a spear, and Beniah only has a club, but yet Beniah is still able to defeat him as well. And you remember the strangest story of Beniah? What does he do? He chases a what? He chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day, and he kills it. Amazing. And because of these great exploits of Beniah, he ends up becoming David's bodyguard, the captain of his bodyguard. Amazing, amazing story. Now, here's what I want you to realize about his story. He didn't wake up that morning with kill a lion on his to-do list. This was like completely out of the blue. It was unexpected. And there was definitely some uncertainty in the situation, wasn't there? I mean, if you're going to try to, to kill a lion... You're not certain about that. But yet that's what he does. Mark Batterson in his book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, which we're basing this series off of, he says this, Too many people read the Bible as a textbook rather than a storybook of history. In other words, when we read this story of Beniah, it doesn't start out once upon a time. This is not a fairy tale. This is real life stuff. This actually happened. And so Mark says, remember, this is, this is history here. And now we, we've had 3,000 years now of history to be able to look back on this story, and we know how it ends and say, oh, yeah, he chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and he killed it. Like it's no big deal. But it was a big deal. I mean, I want you to think about just how uncertain this whole thing was. It wasn't a foregone conclusion. I mean, you know... If you're going to go into combat against another human being, at least human beings have you know, tendencies. Wild animal is completely unpredictable. You, you have no idea how it's going to react. There's, again, all this uncertainty. What, what time of the day did this take place? He chased it into a, a pit on a snowy day. Does that mean it was still snowing? How hard was it snowing? How deep was the snow. What kind of snow was it? Was it like a, a heavy, wet packing snow, or was it just a, a light dusting, a, you know, a powder type of snow? How about the pit? How big was the pit? How deep was the pit? How dark was it down in the pit? We're not certain about these things. What about Benaiah himself? Did he have a good night's sleep the night before? Did he eat his Wheaties that morning? His Flintstone chewables? How was he doing? And probably the most important question is, how hungry was the lion? A lot of uncertainty in this particular situation. But see, that's what makes for a great story. Every time there's a, a great story, there's going to be a high level of uncertainty. That's what makes it a great story. The twists and the turns. Think about some of the classic movies, the, like The Fugitive or The Usual Suspects, or The Shawshank Redemption. Why did they become classic movies? 
because there's so much uncertainty. There's so many plot twists. You didn't see some things coming. And see, the same thing is true for your life. You're not going to see every little thing that's coming. There's going to be some uncertainty, but that's what makes for a great story. Here's how I put it on your outline. The more uncertainty I have, the more exciting life will be. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Let me say it again. The more uncertainty I have, the more exciting my life will be. Now, many of you, if you're being honest here this morning, would say that your goal has been to eliminate all types of uncertainty. You want each day to be as certain as possible. But, if you're being really honest, that's led to a boring, very routine life where today looks like yesterday, which looks like the day before that, which looks like the week before that, which looks like the month before that. And for some of you, it looks like decades and decades before that. And again, if you're being really honest, maybe this need for certainty has crept into your spiritual life as well. It's crept into your faith. Now listen to me. There are certain things that you want to be certain of in your faith. Things like that God loves you and that Jesus died for you so that your sins could be forgiven. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But here's the deal. Faith doesn't mean certainty. There's many things in your life that are going to be uncertain. In fact, unless you have uncertain things in your life, you don't need faith. Right? If you're certain about every single thing, you don't need God. And so what I'm inviting you to do is allow and embrace uncertainty in your life. Don't see it as a bad thing. See it as a good thing because, wow, God, this is going to let me grow and this is going to lead to a more exciting life. See, we've got to trust God and get out of our comfort zone. What I'm saying is this. If your life is boring, take some chances. Take a couple risks where the level of uncertainty gets your heart racing and you're pleading with God, oh God, please, please help me in this situation. I don't know how I'm going to do it by myself, but God, you do, and I truly and fully trust you. Some of you, get out of your comfort zone. Go on a missions trip somewhere. Just get out of the United States. Get into some situation that just makes you shake like crazy. But man, that's going to be exciting. It's going to grow your faith. For some of you, maybe it's share your faith with a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a co-worker. You know, the the thought of sharing your faith, what if they ask a question or whatever, you know, I wouldn't be certain about, well, you don't want to be certain about everything. Live by faith, not by sight. Some of you, maybe the, the big thing is you've been just punching the clock week after week, year after year at a company, and you don't even like what you do. It's just a paycheck. Maybe for you, your thing is get a new job or or start a new business or something. Yeah, but I wouldn't be certain of a paycheck then if I start my own business. Right, you won't. There's going to be some uncertain days, but guess what? It's going to grow your faith. And you're going to have some better stories to tell at the end of your life than, well, I just simply punched the clock every week for 40 years and then they gave me a gold watch at the end. I don't even think they give a gold watch anymore, do they? No. 
So, don't you want your life to be exciting and have counted for something? It means embracing uncertainty. Embrace it. Oswald Chambers, who was a great theologian, once said it this way, Since we're certain of God, uncertainty should not cause us to fear. Most people say, well, you never know what a day may bring forth with a sigh of sadness. But Oswald Chambers goes on and he says, but that saying, you, should never, or you never know what a day may bring forth, should be an expression of breathless expectation because while we are certain of God, we are uncertain about what next step he has for us in this great adventure that we are going called life. Again, please realize that Jesus is not calling you to a life of certainty. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a man, he comes up to Jesus and he says, I will follow you anywhere. You, you just tell me what the, I'll follow you anywhere. I love what Jesus says to him. Look at Matthew 8, 20. Jesus says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to follow me, that's fine, but I want you to realize I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. And so if you're just following me because you think there's going to be a lot of benefits to it, if you're just following me because you think it's going to bring a lot of certainty into your life, then you're following the wrong guy. And I want you to realize the same thing for your life. If you're simply following Jesus because you think it's just you know, going to be a bed of roses and wow, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me and everything is just going to be certain each and every day, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Again, he has called us to a life of uncertainty where we don't know what's going on. It's not going to be easy. And here's the reason that it's so uncertain. You and I are supposed to be become more like Jesus, and Jesus was on mission. And what was Jesus' mission? To what? To seek and what? To seek and to save that which was lost. To reach people who are far from God and, and bring them into a relationship with him. That's why Jesus was here. And that's why we're here, is to do the exact same thing. And so if you're just sort of floating through life, if you're just sort of trying to do the boring routine thing, make it as safe and comfortable as possible, realize that you're not actually a follower of Jesus then. Because anytime you're on mission for Jesus, there's going to be a high degree of uncertainty. And that's actually a great example we can learn from his disciples. You know, the, the expectation in his day and time was that as a little boy, if you grew up and you didn't get accepted into rabbi school, and we've talked about that before, if you didn't get accepted in that, you were going to go home and do what? You were going to learn the, the family business. So if your dad was a carpenter, you're going to become a carpenter. If your dad was a fisherman, you're going to become a fisherman. If your dad made shoes, you're going to become a shoemaker. But listen to the incredible decision that some of Jesus' first followers make. Matthew 4, 18 to 22, we read this. It says, Walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was later called Peter, and Andrew. They were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. Jesus said to them, Come with me, and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask any questions, but simply dropped their nets and did what? What's it say? And they followed. A short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers, James and John, the sons of a man named Zebedee. 
These two were sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their fishing nets. Jesus made the same offer to them, and they were just as quick to to follow, abandoning their what? Their boat, their livelihood, their business, and their their father. Now, this is another example of a scripture that's pretty easy to read and just sort of gloss over it and miss the significance of it. I mean, you and I know about parental expectations, right? That as we're growing up, we don't want to let our parents down. I mean, I'm 42. My parents are sitting there in the back row. They haven't yet graduated to the front seats yet, but they'll get there. Now, <laughs> now they're sitting back there. I'm, I'm 42, and I still don't want to let my parents down. I mean, it's just, I think, a part of of human nature, that we want to please our parents. And so realize what this scripture is saying happened. These guys are working with their fathers. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and what do they do? They drop their nets. And not only do they leave the family business behind, and the expectations that one day you're going to take over this business, but they leave their family behind as well. See, that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that there's no one and nothing that is more important than him. And that if he asks you to to follow him to the utmost ends of the earth, you're going to follow him, no questions asked. Jesus, one time, he's actually talking about this. You know, because, again, there are no certainties in being a follower of Jesus. And he says this, Matthew 19, verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Again, he's saying you must be willing to leave it all behind. Everything. There is nothing that you shouldn't be willing to sacrifice in your life. And, you know, this is actually something that that I understand. Many of you know, before I got called to be a pastor, I owned two businesses. And both the businesses were doing really, really well. And, you know, Lisa and I were just in our early 20s when the second business really took off and we were doing well with it. And we didn't know any better at the time, but we spent the money like crazy, right? I mean, we were traveling a lot, and we bought vacation property, and, and you know, we're doing all kinds of things. We're eating out all the time, and not McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? We're, you know, just for the two of us, $40, $50, $70 per meal, and we're doing that a couple times a week, you know, and it's just, we're, we're living high on the hog, having a good time, and we've got people working for us, and, you know, things seem to be great, but you know what I realized? This is actually pretty boring. This isn't what life is all about. And I've shared the rest of the story of how God ended up calling me into vocational ministry. But eventually we said, you know, we're we're giving it up. We're getting rid of the businesses. And, you know, a big salary that I was making in my very first church, I made $22,000. So, I mean, huge, huge change of life. Why? Because you can't just live for what's certain. You've got to go wherever it is that God calls you to go. And there was no certainty in becoming a pastor. 
even moving here five years ago. You know, the, the church that I was at before here, about an hour south of here, we had taken it from a, a little small church to a pretty big church, uh, a little over a thousand people. And what we were doing on Sunday morning, a lot like you saw at Elevation. I mean, you know, the, the big stage and the lights and the whole nine yards. And really, we had gotten to the place where my full-time job was just to preach. That's all I had to do. 40 to 60 hours a week just to prepare for Sunday morning. Why? Because the church had grown big enough that we had other staff, we had other volunteers, that they were doing everything else. I just had to preach. That's a pretty good gig if you can get it. And they were paying me a lot of money to do it as well. And then God said, I want you to give it up. Move to Harrisburg. Start from scratch. And again, went from a big salary to a not-so-big salary here. No certainty in any of it. You know, when God called me to be a pastor 15, 16 years ago now, (laughs) there was no certainty that I was even going to be able to cut it as a pastor, much less that you know, I was going to be able to lead hundreds and hundreds of people in a relationship with Jesus. There was no certainty on that day that I made that decision that one day I was going to be able to work for Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Ministries, which is the world's most influential ministry. I didn't know that I was going to be able to get to travel all over North America and train 10,000 pastors and church leaders. I didn't know that. There was no certainty. I was just walking by faith. And when we moved here five years ago, there was no certainty in any of it. 80% of all church plants fail. So we were intentionally walking into a situation where 80% of the time you're going to fail at it. We had no clue that God was going to be able to use us as exponentialchurch.tv. And by us, I mean you guys to be able to make a difference in this community, that we'd be able to give tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars to help in downtown Harrisburg and do various things, you know, through not only money, but just through our people resources as well and helping to try to change this city. There was no certainty five years ago when we moved here that we were going to one day have our own building, have a little bit of stability, a little more certainty. I mean, it's been five years of Walking in uncertainty, but yet we keep doing it. And see, it's the same thing for you. Don't allow the uncertainty in your life to keep you from pursuing the things that God wants you to pursue. Get out of your comfort zone. Again, Scripture tells us, live by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? It means the things that we see in front of us, it seems so certain. And we're like, oh, that's what I need. But Scripture says, no, 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 no. It's not those things that are right there easy to grasp, the low-hanging fruit. That's not what you're going after. You're going after the big things. You are to be a lion chaser. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. 
Again, the life of a follower of Jesus means a high level of sacrifice. It means a high level of uncertainty. Matthew chapter 19, there's this young man, he comes up to Jesus, and this guy's very rich, and, and he must have had some sort of authority in some uh, way, because we call this the story of the rich young ruler. And this guy has it all. He's got money, he has success, again, he has some sort of power. But there's something in his life that he's like, I'm missing something. I'm not quite sure what it is, but all the, the money and all the stuff, it's just not satisfying me. And so he comes up to Jesus one time and he says, Jesus, what, what is it that I'm still missing? And by the way, just we can sort of infer by some of the conversation that this guy actually was a follower of God. So it's not that Jesus is going to say, well, you just need to start a relationship with God here. He already had a relationship with God. And so he says, Jesus, what, what am I missing? Here's what Jesus says to him, Matthew 19, 21. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor so that your treasures will be stored up in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, on one hand, this seems like a lot to give up, doesn't it? I mean, go and sell all of your possessions and then come follow me. But yet Jesus is offering him the chance to be an intern with the very Son of God. big decision to make. Do I continue to to live for the the certainties of the riches that I have, of the power I have? Or do I give it all up for the uncertainty of following this rabbi who claims to be God? Scripture tells us that this rich young ruler decides that, you know what, I can't give it up. I need that level of certainty in my life. And so with a sigh, he turns and he walks away sadly. He was more interested in accumulating more and more and more stuff than he was in following God's plan. Now, as we compare that to the disciples, as we looked at earlier, what did they do? They gave it all up. They gave up the family business. They gave up family members, and friends. Why? Because following Jesus was the most important thing to them. And because of their faith, Jesus turned them into world changers. And when I say he changed them into world changers, literally he changed them into world changers. Keep in mind that in that day and time, the average person never like, went more than like 35 miles away from their home in their entire life. So that'd be like you being born here in Harrisburg and never in your life getting further than, say, Lancaster. That's as far as you ever went. I mean, it's a big world. There's a lot to explore. And you only got to Lancaster. But Jesus takes these guys, these uneducated, the Bible says, ignorant men. And because they are willing to sacrifice everything, Give up certainty. Jesus turns them into world changers. And instead of just staying where they were, listen to this. Peter ends up traveling all the way to Italy in his missionary journeys. John makes it all the way into Asia. James all the way to Spain. And Doubting Thomas, the guy that's like, oh, no, I didn't believe this whole resurrection thing, but finally does. He is so convinced of the resurrected Jesus, he ends up, all the way in India. 
These guys changed the world. And Jesus called them, and he's calling us to something that's far more than having certainty in our lives. He calls us to an adventure where, yes, we may lack what the world thinks is important, but what we don't lack is faith, and what we don't lack is knowing that we are smack dab in the heart and the will of God. We'll be able to die with no regrets about chances we never took. I love what Andy Stanley says about certainty in our lives, because many times we're trying to get like 100% certainty. And he says this, Generally speaking, you are probably never going to be more than 80% certain. So waiting for greater certainty may cause you to miss an opportunity. Look, conditions are never going to be perfect. You're never going to have 100% certainty. Benaiah, as he chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day, he didn't have certainty in the situation. Again, we're either going to, metaphorically speaking, we're either going to follow in the footsteps of our father and just be fishermen our entire lives? Or are we going to be willing to walk away from that and chase some lions? (coughs) Talk amongst yourselves. I'll wrap up with this. You know how animals, when they're in groups, they have like names for it? Like fish, when fish are together, what's, what's that called? A school fish, right? Okay, let's see how smart you guys are here this morning. Uh, how about ants? What are ants? They're a colony, right? Okay, good. Uh, how about bees? Bees are in swarms of bees, right? Uh, cattle, this is easy. Herd of cattle. Wow, you guys like knew that one. <laughs> all right. Uh, birds. Flocks of birds. All right. Uh, how about lions? All right, good. Very good. Uh, here's one that maybe you won't get. Uh, buzzards. That, you know, buzzards that like, they like hover around dead things. You know what they are? This is, by the way, I'm not making this up. This is absolutely true. You know what buzzards are called when they're in a group? Anybody? A committee. A- absolutely true. So that's why you never want to be a part of committees because they're just <laughs> circling around dead things, okay? All right, now I shared all those because I wanted to get to one last animal. Anybody know what rhinos are called when they're together? Anyone know? It's called a crash. And there's a very specific reason why it's called a crash. Did you know that rhinos can run up to uh, 30 miles per hour. They're pretty fast. Now, keep in mind, they're four to 6,000 pounds. 30 miles per hour. That's four times faster than a squirrel. So you know how quickly you see a squirrel like running, right? Rhinos are going four times faster than that. Amazing. Big beast. Going really fast. Here's the problem. Rhinos have very poor eyesight. They can only see 30 feet in front of them. So here you have... A four to six thousand pound beast going thirty miles per hour and it doesn't know what's thirty one feet ahead of it. <laughs> now God in his wisdom gave the rhino something that not only helps it as a weapon, but for protection as well. What is it? Big old horn right on the front. Again, a lot of times we think that, well, that's just simply for it to fight other rhinos and other animals and stuff. But guess what else it does? 
you're going really, really fast, you don't know what's right in front of you, and you run into something, boom, off the horn. So that horn goes before the rhino to protect it. Here's what this has to do with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And guess what? Not only does the Spirit live inside of you, but the Spirit goes before you to protect you so that you can go 30 miles per hour and not know what's in front of you. And God will protect you. Yes, you're uncertain about what's 31 feet ahead of you. Yes, you're uncertain about what's a month down the road or a year down the road or five years down the road. Yes, you're uncertain about where your next paycheck's going to come from. Yes, you're uncertain about a lot of things of life, but the Spirit of God is going before you. The Spirit of God is protecting you and helping you and guiding you and leading you. We don't have to fear what's uncertain. God has called us to be lion chasers. So let's be a crash of rhinos as individuals and a crash of rhinos as a church. Let's just go full steam ahead and trust that God's going to be there even in the uncertainty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we've had together to uh, worship along with Elevation Church. And we thank you for Stephen Furtick and the vision that you gave him as a 16-year-old to start a church for people that are far from you and that they've been able to accomplish that there in Raleigh and just continue to expand, and they now have a worldwide influence. We thank you for the gifted musicians uh, that they have there that were able to write those songs and lead us in worship this morning. We thank you for our band and the opportunity that they're getting to, to take a month off and get refreshed as we get ready to make our move into our new building. And Lord, I just pray that in the, the same way that you've used Elevation to change their city, you would use us as Exponential to do the same thing. And that God, you would, and Bill and the rest of our band members just keep giving them lyrics and and music and stuff so that we can have songs that mean so much to us just as those songs mean so much to Elevation. And Lord, we thank you for your word and that how we've discovered that being a follower of yours isn't about comfort. It's not about security and being in a comfort zone. No, it's about walking by faith and, and living a life where there's a lot of uncertainty and that's okay. Lord, help us to embrace uncertainty. To realize that that's a part of being a human. It's a a part of truly being one of your followers. And that the more uncertainty we have, the more exciting life is going to be. And so, Lord, I don't know what the next step is for each and every person that's sitting here today listening to me or that may be listening to this podcast, but, Lord, whatever it is, your spirit is going ahead of them. And even now, preparing a path for them. And so help them to have the boldness to take whatever next step it is that, God, you're calling them to here this morning. Lord, thank you that your spirit does not just lead and guide, but protects as well so that we can live by faith and not by sight. Jesus, thank you for calling us to be a part of the same mission that you are on, to seek and to save those which are lost. Help us to do that with all of our heart, with all of our might, and even in the midst of uncertainty. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.